a beautiful morning. What a time of his presence. And uh, it's okay to come a little bit unraveled in his presence. It's a good thing. Such a reminder that the atmosphere of our worship is the atmosphere of heaven. It's where his name is glorified above every other name. In fact, there's not even any names there at that time to be concerned about. Um, I have been asked if the junior high, just the junior high, right? Just the junior high youth. Um, just, I'm going to ask Joe Colucci to share a couple words with us, and then as he is finished, you guys are invited downstairs. He's going to share the message this morning with you guys down in your class, okay? So if you're a part of junior high youth, I assume you know who you are, and um, go ahead and follow Joe. But we're just blessed this morning, as I think I heard Elaine pick on him uh, for being here. And then we sang Solid Rock. We haven't sang that song. It's, that was, you should have just jumped up and grabbed the mic. Joe rocks that middle part like none other. Uh, that I guess you could call it a rap or a statement, whatever it is. But um, way back from youth days, that was one of the favorites of the youth group. And so we just appreciate this, the sense of God's presence this morning. And, and Joe just came in yesterday flying, what, 36 or some kind of hours of travel with his family and uh, but still wanted to come this morning and just greet us as a body and just get us up to speed on what's been going on in their lives and, and how things are going over in Zambia, Africa. And so I think most of you know Joe here, but maybe some of you don't. And uh, if you don't support him and Lily, uh, you really ought to consider supporting these guys. These guys are missionaries through and through. They spend the majority of their life over in Africa just facilitating teams of young people to come through and just learn what it is, many of them for the first time, to go someplace and actually hear the gospel come out of their own mouths being preached to indigenous people groups and villages and places where you need special equipment just to get there. And uh, so we just appreciate them. Uh, I think Lily's home with the kids, but we've got Joe with us this morning. So without further ado, let's welcome Joe as he comes to just greet us. Amen, amen. Hello, hello. Well, praise God. It is great to be here this morning. Um, it, was, uh, it was a bit touch and go this last um, week and a half, two weeks, um, and wasn't sure if we were going to be able to, to fly um, these last couple days, but we're happy to be here. We were, uh, the plan was, it look, always looks good on paper, and you're like, okay, we'll travel for this amount, and then we get in just in time to get to King's Fire as a family, um, and then you realize 36 hours of travel has its toll on, um, on a couple kids and, and my wife as well. Um, so this morning, um, we actually slept great last night, but it was a struggle to get up this morning um, as we hadn't slept in a couple days. Um, and so we, uh, yeah, we decided to keep the boys back at the house, um, and, but I'm here this morning, and I'm happy to be here. Um, yeah, uh, last weekend, actually, um, I don't, didn't really get out of bed at all. Um, I got hit with some crazy infection, and we were looking at pushing flights back and the possibility of having to um, get uh, evacuated to a hospital and stuff. I sent Bob a picture of what my face looked like um, last week, and he's like, it doesn't even look like you. My whole face swelled up, um, and um, yeah, after uh, much prayer and medication, um, um, I'm happy to be here. Happy we made the flights, and, um, and yeah, so praise God, um, and uh, yeah, it's been, it's been an awesome, um, awesome season. Uh, I actually didn't get to share when we were back. I would, we were here for um, some medical treatment for my wife back uh, earlier this year, um, and I didn't really get to share with the church at all. Um, but we are we are back here um, for this. This is our normal season to be back, do fundraising, travel all throughout the U.S. So we'll be pretty well on the road for the next 15 weeks. Um, we're here in New York for the next week, and then and then kind of hit the road, um, and we'll be all over. Um, if anyone doesn't get our newsletter, you can sign up. Um, you can see where we're going to be. If you're going to be in one of those places around America, um, outside of New York, love to see you there. Or in England, we'll be over in England for a little bit as well. Um, but yeah, we'll be we'll be um, down in the city this week for um, meeting with Lily's surgeon and kind of looking at um, further treatment options there. We're still still walking through that, um, and the possibility we'll end up in South Africa early next year um, for for some stuff for her. So keep her in your prayers. Um, as we, um, we continue to believe for her complete healing. Um, this, um, it's, it was actually a really cool season these last couple months. We had the Cordos and Lois visit, uh, and it was just great to have, have people from here um, see all that's going on um, with the work out there, and especially to actually have them uh, share at the Church of New Life, which was um, planted by David Hart um, through Vaughn's ministry. Um, I obviously think a lot of you know he um, Pastor Vaughn brought David Hart to, to Livingston 30, I think 33, 34 years ago, um, ended up leaving him there to plant a whole work 
um, and that church, they've actually just built, uh, I remember I have pictures of, of Pastor Vaughn over 10 years ago, 10, I was probably closer to 15 years ago, breaking ground um, on property that the church has had um, since David Hart was alive um, almost 30 years ago. And they've been believing to put a building up on that property. Um, and praise God, the building's just been completed um, after 30, 30 some years of believing for their own building. Um, and so I think we're gonna have to we're gonna have to frame like a picture of um, of Pastor Vaughn and Wendy there breaking ground on that on that location, and then to see the completed work now all these years later. Um, Andy Elms was over there a few weeks ago. Um, he got to visit the church there as well. It was his first time back in that church in almost 30 years. So it's just been really cool to kind of see the the culmination of a lot of ministry that's been laid um, over the last few decades, um, really launched out of this church and the work of Pastor Vaughn, and see that all um, coming together has been really cool. Um, We've had such, a year ago, we had, I don't even think, maybe Oscar shared a little bit about it, but Overland a year ago um, put on an event called the King of Kings. Um, did, did Oscar share about that? So you guys know, it like blew way out of proportion for anything that we could have asked, believed for, or imagined. Um, the president of Zambia ended up being the guest of honor at this event um, that saw 50, I think 56 um, leaders through th from 37 countries in Africa coming together to worship the name of the Lord. Um, and to really be introduced to the ministry of Overland Missions. Since that time, Overland's got like, I don't even know how many invitations to how many countries. We've had our staff flying all over the world this year. Um, Uganda, Rwanda, Cameroon, um, tons of other countries that I'm not going to run through the names of. Um, and just to see the, the opportunities that are out there right now, the harvest is truly, truly plentiful and the laborers are few. Um, we've graduated, so next week we graduate another 49 AMT students to launch out to the nations. Um, and this is our second class of uh, advanced missions training students this year. I think this year we will have graduated more, uh, more students than any other year um, to send to the field. So we're believing for, for more next year. There's some really exciting stuff. We're planning um, to have the advanced missions training program running in four countries um, at the same time. So this year we had it um, in two countries. Um, and now it's really launching out throughout the world. Um, so next year they're hoping to launch um, Southeast Asia and uh, Brazil. So we're believing for that. Um, and, and through all that, we've, um, Overland for the last couple of years, been working on what we're calling the King Center, which is basically a discipleship slash retreat center um, slash meeting, kind of mutual meeting place. Um, the Cardo's got to walk around on the ground there. Um, and it's, it's wild, like it's radical. It's been a huge project. Um, we are, I think, two years in and probably at least that long from completion. Um, but it's basically a, a huge, um, almost like a, it's set up kind of like a resort because we really want to bring these kings and chiefs and emperors and world leaders in um, to a place that they can come, they can be discipled, they can meet with one another because there's just nothing for them to be able to like have a, have a place where they feel is a, a common ground. Um, we've had so many leaders come to us and say, well, we want to be discipled, but how do you disciple a king or a, or a high chief from, from these places? So um, that's been exciting to see that coming out of the ground. Um, if you guys want to see pictures, hit me up later. Um, but it's, yeah, if you're, if you're into engineering and metal fabrication, we've ordered, um, we've, we've already taken deliver, delivery of over 150 tons of steel alone. Um, that's not including all the cement, sand, stone, and everything else that's going into the ground. That's just strictly steel. Um, so we've set up a whole, basically a whole manufacturing um, center on our property that's like state of the art for, for what's in, in Africa. And we have um, CNC plasma table and band saws and all kinds of fun stuff. But um, if you want to get involved in that, that's a whole nother, a whole nother uh, operation. Overland also just bought six new trucks that I'm super pumped about. Um, the last batch of all the trucks that we bought have pretty much been like from the 1970s and early 80s. And so we get all these new trucks, like over the last few, you know, last 15, 20 years, all the new trucks that we've gotten have already been quite old. Um, we got an incredible deal on six newer trucks uh, out, of, um, out of Europe. Um, and they're all like 2007 to 2011 models. Um, and yeah, phenomenal, phenomenal deal on those. Um, and so we'll be building those next year um, to be able to send out, send out teams, all of our expeditions teams. Um, and really get people all the way, you know, throughout, throughout Africa and throughout the world on these trucks. With that, that's, that's pretty much our two-week expeditions. I know everybody hears me talk about the Advanced Missions Training Program. People always say, well, I don't really have three months. If you want to do a two-week missions trip, um, hit me up. Go on the Overland Missions website, overlandmissions.com. There's so many opportunities throughout the globe to jump on a two-week missions trip. If you just want to get out, 
see something different um, and really get imparted to as much as you impart uh, to others in, in these third world environments. Um, that's always an option. So yeah, hit me up. I've got prayer cards at the back. Um, I think that was mainly what I wanted to touch on this morning. Um, if you do want to get on our newsletter list, um, see me afterwards, grab a prayer card on your way out. Um, and, uh, and yeah, I'd love to catch up. I think that's it. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Joe. Well, we've heard mentioned a couple of times we remember veterans this weekend. I think Friday was the official day. And um, you just hear in the story of, of uh, Pastor Vaughn being over in Zambia 30-some years ago, almost 40 years ago. And um, so before I move on to the spiritual reality of veterans, how about who's, who's, who's served here? Let me just see some hands. I know maybe you're not comfortable with that. We've got at least a dozen, huh? We just want to applaud you guys. We know there's a lot of different reasons that folks sign up and, and serve in the military, you know, the physical national military. Um, you know, hopefully it wasn't because they watched one of those, those promo videos to get you to sign up. Sounds like you're just getting free tuition for college and, you know, a few, few extra perks and for like a government workout program or something. They forget to tell you that you might actually go to war and, and fight and face real bullets and bombs and um, <laughs> I've I've been, it's been interesting to watch interviews with a few of the kids that became men in the military talk about the reasons that they signed up and then what they were hit in the face with what it really was. And, um, but we, we want to honor that reality that we, we have freedom as we've prayed this morning and given thanks for because folks have, have taken up to defend the Constitution. People of America, people think, oh, America, and then they have their opinions about America. But America is a nation that is the offshoot of following the Constitution of the United States of America. And every military personnel, every police officer, every law enforcement is sworn to uphold and protect and divide by the Constitution of the United States of America. And so it, it, we can all judge the, what we see happening, maybe politically, of different political views and understandings. But the fact is, if you go back to the original documentation that allows us to be and describes who we are as a nation you find very deeply embedded biblical, scriptural, spiritual values, even in the Declaration of Independence, that we believe certain truths to be just obvious or self-evident, as they would have said it in more proper English, uh, that, that life, liberty, and the ability for every individual to pursue what brings happiness and fulfillment to their soul, that that's a God-given right, that all men are created equal and receive these rights not to be infringed upon by man or by government, and that it's actually God. And we see this as we read through the Old Testament. We see the way that he set up government through his chosen people, the nation of Israel, and we see how he was their king. He was their God, and they always wanted to put someone else in between him and them, like King Saul to start with, and then things kind of never went back to the way it was. When it was just him in a pillar of fire or a cloud just leading them to where he wanted them to be. God, as your king is the highest level of leadership that you can follow. And thankfully, by the Holy Spirit, that's the reality as new creation believers. We get to walk in that reality that he's the highest voice in our life. He speaks to us through our conscience. He speaks to us through his word. But he's the king that we now get to serve. But back in the day, it was he was there. He was the king in Israel. He was the highest voice. He spoke through the prophets. He revealed himself to them in ways that they could understand what his law was. Remember, he wrote the law on stone so Moses could bring it to the people. I mean, he, it, was, it was direct. It was God, my people, let's go take over the part of the territory of this earth that I have decided is yours. And he led them on it. He led them into that place. It was actually in that place. And as they were dealing with the conflicts of the promised land, that they said, hey, why don't we have a king like the other nations that we're all fighting against have kings? Why do we have this ethereal spiritual king but we can't point to a man with a crown and say he's our king and it was actually the people that said we'd rather have another king other than God and it would make sense that things would fall apart from that point forward wouldn't it and uh, but just wanted you to just don't ever forget we have the rights and the mandates we were given as American citizens because of the constitution if you're not willing to go back and study that and find out what the actual constitution 
says and what the amendments that were made to it are, then please don't have a discussion about what you think about the way things are being expressed. A lot of what's happening in our government now is not constitutional. Rights that are being removed, judges that are impinging upon things that they have no right to touch, they're not constitutional decisions that are being made, and therefore we have to wrestle with these things in our own conscience because we're citizens of, we're dual citizens. We're citizens of America and we're also citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And so it's very important to understand both of those roles because we're moving into a time in history where there's going to be a lot of confusion and already is, and uh, we need to be able to prepare to be functional in both realities. It's not just one. It's not so heavenly minded we're no earthly good, and it's not so earthly minded that we're no heavenly benefit to the people that need to hear the gospel. It's a marriage of those two realities. That's why the word became flesh and dwelt among us, because it needed to happen that way. We need physical vessels full of the Holy Spirit to be ambassadors of the kingdom of heaven and to represent justice and righteousness and defense of the helpless and the weak and the poor. And I would just encourage you, maybe you've uh, not understood the reality of some of what I'm going to talk about, but I think on Veterans Day, remembering those who have fought in war, it's important to go back to why it is that we defend what our founding fathers said. A nation that's not willing to lay down their life for this will lose these freedoms. And they said it probably won't last long unless it's a God-fearing people that are trying to abide by this document because the document requires mutual respect and love to be demonstrated and for people to be able to be free provided that your freedom doesn't impinge upon my well-being or my family's well-being. And so We'll look at a few, a few scriptures this morning. I, want, I just start by saying, I think I mention it every Sunday. I try to because I think the confusion that comes into people's hearts when they come to church thinking that that's where everything's rosy and that's where everything's pretty and, and wonderful is they don't realize they've just joined a side in a cosmic battle of good versus evil. And they start getting hit with some things and they're like, whoa, this, <laughs> and you just drift along with the current. But if you want to stand for light in a dark world, you're going to be hit with stuff. People are going to resist you and they're going to have challenges to you and it's okay it's normal that's what happens when you stand for the right in a world that's bent on doing what's wrong but there's this cosmic battle that's been raging from the beginning of time and if you look through the bible i mean you could say it's a book of a lot of different things it's good teaching it's different things but overall primarily the bible is a book of the record of wars maybe you should read it that way and and, and rec- the chronology of most of the scripture is a is is a book recording the warfare that has happened from the serpent in the garden until Jesus on the tree and all the warfare that the Holy Spirit wages through our lives after we've been baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit. It's a book of wars. Uh, 499 uh, times the words war, battle, and fight are used in different contexts. 389 times peace. I don't hang a lot of my theology on how many times something is mentioned. But I want to say, if you want to say it's a book of peace, you can at least argue and say, well, 500 to 380 Uh, war and battles and victories and things that were recorded, uh, it's it's a book of war. It's a book of conflict. It's a book of good versus evil, and it's good that evil is defeated. And in every every context, from the Old Testament through the New Testament, when God enters the arena, (laughs) evil dies, good wins. That's just the nature of, of how God fights. He doesn't fight to lose. He fights to win. He's the victor, Uh, of all time. He's the highest name above every name. But I want to go through a a couple of scriptures and just lay some scriptural context for the broad statements that I've just made, because they're kind of broad, and you may disagree with some of them, but get in the book and you'll realize that I'm talking about what's been written and I didn't write it. Someone very long time ago wrote it. And uh, there's a battle on. There's a battle on. In Revelation chapter 12, verse 7, through verse 9. We won't dig too deep into some of these scriptures until I get to one that I really want to look at with Abraham, but Revelation chapter 12, verse 7 through verse 9 says, And war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought. But they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. Who's watched some of the Marvel movies and stuff? Loosely understand the... I mean, you could go all, that's not just Marvel, what's the other ones? It's, uh, yeah, DC, and there's always this, there's this epic struggle, right? It it predates our existence, and that's what this scripture is revealing to us, that these wars are being fought, and there was no longer a place for the ones who lost, which was the devil and his angels, and so it says in verse 8, so the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. 
He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. It's amazing how in Genesis we discover here's the serpent talking to Eve in the garden. The beautiful, perfect garden that God makes. Preceding that, Satan's already been put into this place, and all of a sudden we have the result of what he has led humanity into through the temptation and the fall that followed. It's a book of war. Wars that were fought before we appeared here on earth. Isn't that interesting? It's so important for you to frame yourself in the big picture if you want to not be confused. Too many people think the world still revolves around them. It's this current generation's model, like, how does this affect me? How do I feel? What do I think? And I is just not really that important in a grand cosmic scheme of things. What's really important is God's plan and what he's been working out. And we don't understand all the details, but we know that he knows the details. And as we learn to trust him, he reveals them to us in the measures that we can handle them. And so if the devil's here on earth, if this, this beautiful planet that was made without sin is now under the sway of what the word also calls the sway of the wicked one, then we've got to understand this is a journey of faith through a hostile territory. If you don't know that you're in hostile territory, it's really confusing when you get smacked with something that doesn't feel good to be smacked by. We're talking sicknesses, diseases, broken relationships, abuses, things that are just evil and wrong, wars and famines and rumors of wars and, and tragedies and earthquakes and tornadoes. All this, the disastrous state of this planet was not in God's pure heart and his intent for humanity. Sin has brought that about. Decay came when sin came. And it's important that we just realize if we don't position ourselves with the right focus and the right understanding of what's going around in the world that we find ourselves in, it's easy to get confused. And I hate seeing confused people because... They end up never living up to potential, and they always end up hurting and feeling like, man, what's the point? And the hopelessness we see in a lot of the lives is just due to the fact they don't realize you were born into a cosmic struggle of good and evil. Just choose a side. Life will get really exciting. But we have to remember and honor the origins. We've got to remember where we come from. Got, these things are all part of what we've been talking about lately. We honor our veterans because they're the origins of the freedom. They're the reasons why they've contended for the freedom we still Get to walk in. Now, in Genesis chapter 12, I want to read this. It's a lengthy passage. It's, well, 10 verses. I guess for a sermon, it's lengthy, but compared to the Bible, it's very short. It's only 10 verses. It's in Genesis chapter 12. And uh, God makes some promises to his people. He's done it through, through history. He does it now. Uh, Peter makes it very clear that there are great and exceeding precious promises that are given to us in 2 Peter chapter 1 that through these promises, we actually begin to taste and savor the goodness and the nature of the God who now lives within us. It's through his word that was spoken. God does not say things and then not follow through. He's not fickle. He doesn't make promises. He doesn't keep. What he says, he does, and he does it in a timing that's up to how he wants to do it, not how we would like him to do it. That's where we often get confused. In fact, there was a scripture I kind of skipped over, it, but I'll just mention it. It's in Numbers 21. As the Israelites were going into the promised land, it said they became very discouraged on the way, and so they began to grumble against Moses. They became very discouraged on the way. Why? It was taking too long. And so they started to complain. We've got to be careful in this journey of faith through hostile territory that when things are up against us or we're up against them, that we don't begin to grumble because it's taken too long. The problem wasn't with the land of promise. It was that it was taking too long. And it says they got very discouraged on the way to the point where They'd lost sight that they were now free people. They no longer answered to a pharaoh with a, a whip and a taskmaster and all the things they were forced to do as slaves. They were now free, and yet they were starting to get uh, uncomfortable and discouraged because it was taking too long. If you've ever driven with a child in the car, you know that's the, we've outlawed that phrase in our car. You may never, ever ask, are we almost there or are we there yet? When the car stops moving, that's how you know uh, we're, there's a chance that we're there. It might just be a stoplight. But the, the more you ask, the longer it takes. The sooner you can get your kids distracted with something else, then, then all of a sudden you're there. Like, oh, we're there? Yeah, you just, yeah, yeah, I just say yes now. If they do break the rule and they, they speak the forbidden words in the car, then it's just, are we almost there? Yeah, absolutely. Com <laughs> compared to eternity, you are almost there. Six hours later, are you still right there? Oh, yeah. So Genesis 12.1. In the New King James, it says, Now the Lord had said to Abraham, Get out of your country, from your family and from your father's house. This is chapter 12, first book of the Bible. Creation, the fall, all, we're already moving into God's plan to turn this thing around because he's always had a plan. Get out of your country from, the family, from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. 
why Abraham is called the father of our faith. He just heard what God said and didn't have much to go on. He says, don't worry, I'll show it to you. Imagine leaving and going someplace in your car and you're like, where are you going? Uh, uh, somewhere. Well, how will you know if you're there? We're used to having our right, we could put the address, your location, starting point, destination, and the thing tells you where to go and lefts and rights and you arrive there. It just does it all for you. But God, is, if we're people of faith, God says, just get in the car and I'll show you where we're going. How will you know if you're there yet? Did he tell you to stop yet? Did he tell you to keep going? This whole walk of faith is for God and for us is a journey that is never stale and boring. It's constantly moving. There's constant uncertainty. That's what it takes for faith to stay fresh. And so God says, Abraham, come on out of the land, the place where you were. He was well established. And it's interesting. It was his father's house. So this was generational wealth that Abraham was sitting on. We know he was very wealthy. And he says, just leave all that behind and come to a land that I'll show you. And in verse 2, he makes him a promise. He says, I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Again, I believe prophetically that's talking about Messiah, who would come through the people that would be birthed of Abraham's offspring. And so Abram departed as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. And Abraham was, well, I'm, I keep saying Abraham because I'm so used to saying Abraham, but it's, he's still Abram at this time. God hadn't put the ha in uh, Abram. So Abraham. Uh, so, so Abram departed as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And then Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people whom they had acquired, in Haran, and they departed to go to the land of Canaan. And so they came to the land of Canaan. And Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem, as far as the terebinth tree of Moreh. And the Canaanites... Stop. Anyway. I got a glitch on me now. Ah. I'm going to have to turn around and read it for myself. Thanks, guys. Appreciate you. Oh, they're doing one verse at a time? That won't help me. I don't, I don't like when things aren't working. Like, I'm obsessive that way. If I can't find something, I will look all night long until I find it. If something's not working right, it just needs to work right. Who's on the Wi-Fi? Who's on Facebook? The Wi-Fi is supposed to be all jammed up because everybody's on Paul, let Paul just put his phone down quick. I see. <laughs> there we go. Sheesh. I knew it was, yeah, it was definitely that. Now it works fine. Okay, so they come to the land of Canaan. They pass through. They come to Shechem. And the Canaanites were then in the land. Yeah, that's a bummer. Good timing. He gives them a land of promise, and he shows up there with this entourage, but there's people there. What are they thinking? Can you imagine? It's like, hey, here we are. Who the heck are you guys? Like, the Canaanites are in the land, and like, God said to come here. It's ours now, I think. Or How do you explain that? Like, you know, can you just go on social media, and as some seem to do, and, and just, just spread it all around like that? I do word of mouth. Can you imagine? The, I imagine, when I see groups of people, like, imagine the Israelites moving through. I imagine... They're kind of like there's a certain sound, they're just walking, right? And there's like an unknown that pops up like this. And all of a sudden, there had to be like this. You ever hear a beehive? Ever see those videos, at least, of a beehive when they start to like buzz? and, there's and they, Like when they're swarming? It's freaky to watch. If you've ever been stung by bees, it's not a comfortable thing. But there's, there just had to be this buzz. There had to be like a, what is, what are, and then they're talking to each other. And I imagine depending on how uncertain things were, it probably rose to a, you could probably measure where they were at at a soul level as a group, just based on the way things were being talked about word to word, and then messengers would go throughout and try to make sure everybody knew what was happening. It wasn't easy to just get a message through to a whole bunch of people, and so they show up. There's people already in the land. Guess what? In the spiritual journey that we're called to, when you're going you're to stand for the light, and you're going to move forward and take a stand and say, I'm going to follow truth no matter what. It's going to create a stir. There's going to be a buzz around you. Like, who does this person think he is? What does he think he is? There's going to be this ring all around you because you're just standing in a place that people don't want you to stand. 
They might need to just kneel down and be like they all are, or what they're being at. Complicit, compliant, whatever you want to call it. They're all guilty in the same manner because of no one standing up and saying, hey, this isn't right. Anyway, he says, they come to the tree in Moran, and the Canaanites were already in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your descendants, I will give this land. It's a good thing God spoke to him then, because I'm, I'm sure he was probably some questions starting to come in. Because he says, when, you, when God tells you you're going into a promise, you feel like it's probably just all the questions. Of, I mean, God set it up. The questions are probably answered. Everything's supposed to just flow. It's like going on a guided tour or staying someplace where everything is thought out for you. Your meals, your, your daytime activities, it's all set. They show up and there's people in the way. I'd imagine there was a lot of questions he was getting at that, po- at that point from the people that came with him. It wasn't just him. It's his nephew and his whole entourage. All right, sure, this was a good idea. And God appears to him and said, to your descendants, I will give this land. And immediately Abram there built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. And he moved from there to the mountain east of Bethel, and he pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built another altar to the Lord and so called on the name of the Lord. And so Abram journeyed going on still toward the south. Verse 10, now there was a famine in the land I'll just stop there. Going to the land of promise. It's already got people in it. The itinerary is unclear. It's just, you, I'll show it to you. He shows it to him. Makes him a promise there. I'm going to give this land to your descendants. But it's so vague. It's so, oh, and by the way, there's no food to eat here. Now, if you're a cynic, if you're a critic, if you're not a person of faith, when you start to see these things add up, you think that God that you're following is just cruel, unusual, and I want nothing to do with him because that doesn't make sense. Why would he promise you something where there's already people you're going to have to contend with and there's no food there? And it, you, you can follow this all through Scripture. That's why I love reading the book because the book is full. Almost every story comes to this point where whether it's jo- it doesn't matter how you, Joseph in, in, in the prison. Every story you follow, it kind of comes to this low point where there's just nothing less left that's going to happen for good unless God does something. And then he does something. And then he uses an unsuspecting person. And the next thing you know, the story's off to these amazing, inspiring realities that we all build our faith off of. He's not intimidated by the fact that there's a battle. He's not thrown off every time the enemy tries to to get us off track of where he's trying to take us to. He leaves the history that he's in. Abraham leaves that for a future that was just promised, and yet it's full of famine and it's full of people already there. I mean, it's incredible. We won't read through. It's not a history lesson on Abraham. It's, it's just I want to mention that reality before I move on to some other New Testament scriptures. Because, I mean, within two chapters, he's forming an alliance with all the servants of his household, who it says were trained in warfare from their youth. In the promised land, kings come in. They take Lot and his family, and they take the, 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 the entire inhabitants of Sodom into captivity. And Abram, what is, I think, 300 and some some Bible scholar probably knows the exact number, but it's a few hundred. And he, is, he assaults this alliance of four kings that probably went on a party binge, whatever, after they won this big war. And so they probably show up with these few hundred armed, trained soldiers. And they take everything back, all the spoils, all the people, the entire city of occupants that were worth taking. They bring them all back. And so he's already at war. He's already in a place of war, in the land of promise, in the place without food. And God's just there showing himself faithful. And I want to just highlight that as an Old Testament reality, but when we look at Jesus, I feel like this one of the saddest things that I hear people talk about Jesus, like he's just this, I don't know, like this big fuzzy stuffed lion or something. But he never presents himself that way. It, it, scripture doesn't present him that way. He's near to the broken heart, yet he's gentle with those who are, he, he, he's gentle, but he is fierce. The book records him as the most feared warrior that's ever existed in existence. That's who he is. That's what the book reveals. But weak people seek a weak ruler. Weak people wanted a King Saul because they figured they could help control him. Whereas this voice that would just thunder and tell them where it was too fearful. The one that told them where it was really at. They're like, "Ah, can we just get a guy and put a gold thing on his head, and we'll listen to him, and we'll take good care of him, and we'll do whatever he tells us. Because there's an intimidation factor to truth. There's an intimidation factor to who Jesus really is. 
And if you read the book, you'll discover who he really is. You'll find out that when mere mortals encounter his glory, they fall down like they're dead people on the ground, even full of the Holy Spirit. John on Patmos wanted nothing to do with that. He said, face down, didn't want to die in the presence of that Holy One. And we're debating that could have been Jesus. Could have just been one of his messengers. <laughs> he says he's the one that lived and died, so we have to believe it was Jesus. But you understand If you're going to read the book and try to read what you want to find there, it's going to be a very challenging journey through hostile territory. But when you realize you're called to the same battle that Jesus called to, that's called us to, it's invigorating. It's time to stand up. It's time to put your shoulders back. It's time to say, hey, we don't dance to the music of this ridiculousness that people want us to dance to. We march to the orders of one who's marched before us that's shown us the way. I want to read Revelation chapter 19. And some of this I'm saying with the backdrop of everything that's happening in Israel because people are so, they're just so soft-bellied. They don't understand justice. They don't understand how the thing works. They don't understand the realities of what, what is something called terror. What's the difference between an act of war and an act of terror? They don't understand. They're just... They're led by emotions, so they don't actually dig in and find out what's actually going on. They don't realize that there are rules for engagement when it comes to nations fighting nations. And when you violate those, you lay down your rights to be treated in a certain kind of way because you broke the rules first. And people don't want to go back to understanding how things start. But I want to encourage you, Jesus has a plan how to wrap this all up. And in the end of it, he fights for Israel. Well, actually, he fights with Israel. And I don't know, I'm, there's a part of me that wants to just get up in the sky, as Pastor Andy talked about, there's a part of me that would just love to, just the chance to see what it looks like when every nation on the planet within the zone that can reach Israel on land comes through that valley to try to take them out and God fights for them. Man, maybe we'll get to watch it from up there. That would be like, that'd be like you know, that would be the best. We can watch it, but without having to be here. But either way, if you, your theology has been confused and you think God's done with Israel, like the physical nation of Israel, with physical Jerusalem, with the physical Jewish people, your theology is askew. You need to get back in the book and discover what's actually going on. You need to discover that he is a man of his promise. When he promised Abraham that land, or Abram, he meant that they were going to have that land. And it's well described from the river in Egypt all the way up. The great river. You, you. All right. You ready for this? In Revelation 19, verse 11. Try to understand. Try to break free from whatever you thought woolly Jesus was and realize that he's coming back as a, as, a, as a warrior to demonstrate his superiority and his power and his righteousness. Now I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. He who sat on him was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. Most modern American Christians can't even reconcile that in their mind. They don't even understand what that means. It's, it's, so, controver- it's so contrary to this lovey-dovey, come dance with me, Jesus, in the streets that they think he's coming back as, that they have missed the grit. of. You have to tune evil out at every way to imagine that Jesus is going to come back in some compliant kind of way. When you see the way humans are treating humans, you realize evil is... And is increasing, it's multiplying, and the book says it's going to continue to multiply until when he comes back, it's going to be a challenge. Is there anybody of faith left in this mass of evil that has overtaken the planet? And it says, his eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a, a name written that no one knew except himself, and he was clothed, clothed with a robe dipped in blood. Warriors did that for intimidation. Everybody likes the white horse and the white robe, but he's coming, he's going to dip it in blood first. (laughs) And his name is called the Word of God, and the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. And now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations, and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God, and he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Remember when Jesus was being taken in the Garden of Gethsemane? He's like, don't worry. If I wanted to end this, I could call my father. He'd send 
legions and legions of angels, and we could just get done right now this torture that was upon him. And yet there was something he was fulfilling because he was setting the stage so that there could be an army on white horses with him, that it wouldn't just be him. He could have done it by himself, but he's never wanted to do it by himself. The cross is an invitation to include all who would believe, to join on the side of victory and the side of light. Could he do it alone? Absolutely. Does he want to do it alone? No. He's desired a bride. He's desired for us to fight alongside of him. One of the ways we do this in the spirit reality is very clear in Ephesians chapter 6, another long text, but we're going to read it because I know you're, we're not in kindergarten today. We're going to fight a war. We've got to know how to fight this war. And Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. It's his might that makes us powerful, not what we think we can conjure in our own soul. It says, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to continue to stand. Therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness and shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, take the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. This is a wartime encouragement. He's reminding them, hey, we're at war. It's not going to be easy. It's not going to be just sit back and wait for high in the sky or whatever else is supposed to happen for, for Christians. It's always been a battle. It's continually a battle. James chapter 4, submit to God, resist the devil. He'll flee from you. Draw near to God. He'll, you understand this is, there, there's, there's a pathway through this thing, but it's through hostile territory. And I'll tell you, the safest place to be when you're in hostile territory is with someone who's stronger than you are. No matter how strong a man is, he knows when you're in the middle of something, you just wish, like even David wanted a Jonathan by his side. He's like, hey, we'll go take these guys on, but I need someone next to me. We don't go alone in this thing. You've got to, this is a season where you've got to find like-minded families, find like-minded co-workers, find like-minded folks that attend the same church if possible. But if not, it's okay. Just find people that you can shoulder to shoulder with, because it's not going to get easier, it's going to get harder, it's going to get worse until it gets worse, as Pastor Andy encouraged us. <laughs> but this is what I want, to, I want to close with this passage in Colossians chapter 2. I don't know if this one made it to the... Two, chapter uh, 2, verse 12 through 15, and this is in a delivering translation, so... Unless you can find that correct translation quickly, guys, don't bother rushing to put that up there in the, in the New King James. It'll just confuse people. But this is what it says in Colossians chapter 2, verse 12. For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized, and with him you were raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. You were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. And then God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave all of our sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities and he shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. Sometimes the victories that we win will not be victories that the world will say, oh, that was a victory. They'll be victories that the heavenly hosts will know, ouch, we just got crushed. I need you to hear that. I need you to embrace that by faith. Some of your greatest victories, people around you will never know that you won, but heaven will take note of that victory, and the enemy will also be aware of that victory. This is the part that gets me. It says, he canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. A record of the charges that was against us. Does anyone know part of the definition of love? Because we know God is love. Do you know scripture reveals God is love? 
That's what he is. That's who he is. But then in Corinthians, it talks about the love chapter. It says, love, this phrase bugs me to no end. Part of it, it says, keeps no record of wrong. Like, man, how is that possible? I think I love pretty good most of the time, right, honey? Sometimes I cross the line and I forget who's really in charge. I mean, never mind. Um, kidding, joking. Dr. Leon gets to do it. I can do it. Okay. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I need a South African accent for that. I can't pull that off. So if love keeps no record of wrongs, who had the record of wrongs? Every charge that was against us. This person called in Scripture the accuser of the brethren. He's the prosecuting attorney. Oh, he has the record. God doesn't need to keep the record of our wrongs because the enemy of our soul has it well recorded and well documented. You follow me so far? It says that he took it out of the way by nailing it to the cross. The cross of Jesus Christ is a moment where he goes to the accuser's desk and he says, yeah, I'll take that. And he takes it to the cross. And when they nail him to the cross, guess what actually got nailed to the cross? It says the very record of the wrongs that were against us, the charges against us. He takes it away and nails it to the cross. And in this way, he disarms the spiritual rulers and all their authorities. And he shames them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. This isn't even talking about the empty tomb yet. This is talking about the legal payment for everything we've ever done wrong, past, present, and future. It got nailed there because he went and got the record from the one who was keeping it. God wasn't keeping it. People think that he was. I believe it was the accuser of the brethren. Because love doesn't need to record wrongs. Love, love is one way. God's agape love is just one way regardless. It doesn't mean we won't be judged for sin. It doesn't mean that there won't be consequence for the times when we walk in disobedience. It's not saying that. It's saying that love is not recording all that. It doesn't need to. There's an enemy of ours that would love to record those things if you'll let him until you take him to the cross. You'd be like, hey, wait a minute. Wait a minute. The condemnation and the shame. No, 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 no. There was a moment where that was taken from you. It got yanked out of your hands and it went to the cross with the one when those nails went through his hands. I wonder if you could see that. Just see that Whatever your book, whatever, however, maybe some was thick, one, some were real skinny. I don't know. Maybe yours was just one page. But there was stuff you did wrong that made you a sinner. And it needed to be dealt with. And Jesus does it by nailing it publicly on the cross. And it says he shamed them in that. I don't think they realized it happened until they realized it happened. They're like, oh, wait a minute. We've got nothing against all these people that choose to follow him now. Because he was innocent. He's made them innocent. He's justified the unjustifiable he's forgiven the unforgivable he's made righteous those who are never qualified on their own and all of a sudden you're in a place of realizing who gets the glory in this there's only one person and it's jesus we heard a great message today in the in the in the discipleship class at nine o'clock a great video the, the preacher said this very simple thing when you get to heaven and god asks you okay so why should i let you in what makes you think you should be here if your first pronoun is i He's like, you've missed it. He's like, you've missed it. Most people are trying to mix this free gift of what Jesus did on that cross for you, of a simple faith and confession, turning from your sin and following him. If you're missing that, you'll start to, in your insecurity, add works to what you're trying to accomplish. You'll start, well, but I, yeah, but look, I did this wrong, but I did this right. And we start trying to live this line where we're kind of doing, we're weighing it on a scale as if God's keeping a scale, but reality that's not how it works anymore jesus already dealt with it and he said imagine you're the thief on the cross and you get into heaven you're standing at the gate and peter or whoever you know we have all these ideas who's going to be at the at the gate to heaven to say why should i let you into my heaven and if you had the gospel tracks you know you stand before the pearly gates and they say oh, why why should we let you in and you're supposed to have this explanation and this reason and he says imagine the thief at the cross or the thief on the cross, you know the story? There was one on each side. The one accepted Christ. The one continued to mock him. And Jesus tells the one guy on his side, like, today you'll enter into paradise with me. I'll see you, see you later, basically, is what he told him in the spirit realm, that he wouldn't be condemned, that he was going to go where Jesus went. And imagine being that guy, and he's, he's just like, uh, uh, he shows up there. He's probably just as surprised as he doesn't know. He's a criminal. He's being executed on the cross for murder and, and whatever else he did wrong, robbing and things. 
he's a despicable criminal, and yet here he is at the gates of heaven, and they're wondering, why should we let you in? And he says, uh, he said, well, let's, let me get, some, he asked for a supervisor, he brings him over, and he'll, so why should we let this guy in? This is beyond my pay grade, I'm not sure if we should let him in or not, he doesn't even seem to know why he's here, or how he got here, and he's there trying to, you know, they're trying to, what, what, do you know justification by faith? Do you, do you, what, what is your stance on, you know, baptism of the Holy Spirit? Like, what, do you even understand new creation miracle? He's quizzing them on these doctrines, and he's like, I, I, I don't know, it's like the guy on the middle cross said I could come. It has to go back to what Jesus did, or it's not going to stand up to judgment. It's got to point a finger at him. It's got to say, the reason I'm here is because of that. And I saw it for what it was. I saw that my guilt was nailed to that cross. I saw that my shame was nailed to that cross. In the same way that all the demonic realms saw what just happened and they were shamed by it, I saw it. And my soul came alive and my spirit was rebirthed because of it. Salvation has never been about what we do or don't do. It's been about what Jesus does and whether or not we believe in what he did being enough. I hope that's another angle to to help you with whatever maybe you're dealing with. I don't know. But this is why the scripture can say in John chapter 8, 35, whom the son sets free is free indeed. It's because he doesn't just give us the promise of heaven, he gives us the power to live it right now because we walk as free men. We're not enslaved to, the, to fulfill the word, the, the lusts of the flesh any longer. We are free to follow Jesus because he's already won this thing. He's already put a bow on it. He's already says celebrated. It says that he, he disarmed them and he, led the, he triumphed over them in victory, which would have been a sort of a, a show-off march. There's a message on meekness I want to get to. I'm going to introduce it. We've got about four four minutes left. I know we're honoring veterans today, but I want to honor Jesus for his service on my behalf. And I pray that you would want to honor him for his service on your behalf. Because that thief on the cross knew nothing about what Jesus was accomplishing. He didn't know his stuff was being nailed to that cross. All he knew was, he said, hey, why are we picking on this guy? And Jesus said, you know what? I'll share forever with you in a place called paradise. This hangs on what Jesus says and what Jesus does. And I want to encourage you in that he has done a great service on your behalf. We want to honor him today. But I want to speak about this concept called meekness just very, very quickly. Introduce it. There's a scripture that always bothered me, Matthew 5, 5, and it didn't bother me here. It bothered me because it was in a song. Oh, no, I, I should have done more research. You, you would know it, um... Was it the police? Ah. You know, it says, I, I hear the, it says, the meek will inherit the earth, but I hear the old man laughing. What good's a used up world, and what good is it worth having? Okay. There's your homework. I think, it was, I think it was the police. But it bothered me because I think, that's a good point. The blessed are the meek, for they'll inherit the earth. And you think, we can see what it's becoming. It's not becoming the kind of place you really want to inherit. It's especially as we read the end of the book. But I realize the point of meekness in this context is that many have misinterpreted it because they think meekness has to do with weakness. That's the best way, I think, to say it. They think they confuse meek and weak, and yet they're actually opposites. They're actually opposites. When we're told to put on meekness in Colossians or we're told that meekness is one of the fruits that Holy Spirit brings to us, we, we assume it's got something to do with being pliable and placid and not really people of conviction. And nothing could be less true. In fact, the actual, if you want to read through the Greek and stuff, maybe we'll study it deep, more deeply. But I feel like this is the time to say this because we're talking about conflict and we're talking about fighting the good fight. It says that it's actually strength under control. It's being a dangerous person, but choosing not to live dangerously. You understand what I'm talking about? It goes over the heads of many people because they still have this woolly Jesus idea, but they don't understand the strength that you need to have for someone who's weak, who might be next to you or defenseless or helpless. Maybe it's within your own family. Husbands, this is especially true for us. The word that was used when this was being written in the Greek was the same word, praus, that is used to describe a well-trained war horse. 
And they would say, that horse, he's pros. He's meek. The same word, the fruit of the Spirit is meekness. That horse has meekness. He's been well-trained for war. Therefore, all his power, all his strength, with swords clanging and shields banging and arrows and flames and all the stuff of warfare, then he could walk through it and carry his rider with total control. Meanwhile, being, you know, see how powerful those horses are, what they can do when they just charge into each other and they just, there's so much power, but it's under the control of the one who holds the bit. And I want to encourage you this morning, we're called to be a meek people, and it's time we get a handle on this. We're not called to be, you know, weak. We're called to be meek. Strength under control. Some of us need to practice. We need to become more dangerous with the way that we use our words of faith. More confident when we say, hey, that's not going to happen. That's not what he promised, and so that's not going to happen. It's just not going to happen. He says something different, therefore, we're not just, you understand, you can apply it any which to, so you could, international affairs, you can apply it right now. The nation of Israel is acting in meekness. The most beautiful meekness of any nation on this planet. Thousands and thousands of rockets trying to destroy them come at them every single week for over 10 years since it's been the most intense. Continuous. Sirens go off continuously because they are continuously being bombarded. They have the Iron Dome, right? They have this thing that just takes the enemy's rockets. You see them turn back and detonates them in the air. I mean, thank God they have the, the mind and the technology and the ability to, to protect themselves in that way. And yet still, there's vulnerability. Evil will keep coming at you until evil finds a crack in the armor. Meekness says, okay, we were content with defense for a while. Now it's time to clean house. And then people sit back like, oh, what's happening? What's happening? What's happening is called righteous war. What Jesus said he was coming back to do. People don't understand. When evil is destroyed, that's an act of righteousness. When the evil that you had committed was destroyed on the cross, that was an act of his righteous judgment. He warred against that spiritual debt that you couldn't pay. And he defeated and he shamed the enemy and he stuck it on the cross. And he said, yeah, look what I just did. They thought they just tortured him and got all their good feel-goods out of beating up a, a human being. And then he said, nah, look what you actually did. All those who are going to follow me and believe in me and accept my free gift of salvation, they're going to trample on you too. Meekness. Begin to study it. Begin to understand what strength under control means. You've got to have strength within you to be meek. Otherwise, you're just weak. We have to have the capacity to unleash God's words. There's more. Okay, so that's an, that's an introduction. We'll, i got plenty of material there to continue on that. But I want us to, to dig into this idea that a believer in Jesus Christ is not a passive, unconcerned, disconnected, disjointed. No, we're in this thing. We are here to contend. And when he comes back to fight for Israel... The physical nation, the way he has fought for those of us who have believed in him spiritually at the cross, they haven't received, most of them haven't received that yet. They haven't seen that he was the Messiah the first time. And maybe they won't see it until he's Messiah the second time. I don't know how he's working it out. I just know you all better be careful. I better be really careful because it was the religious, most well-trained people that knew exactly what God was going to do when he came the first time that completely missed what he was doing. They were so busy with Messiah on a white horse to just set them free from the Romans that when he actually showed up, they were like, this can't be it. When the brutality of what Jesus taught, I don't know what it means to rule the nations with a rod of iron. I don't know what that looks like. I don't know what it means when it says his robe is dipped in blood and he's coming back to eliminate evil from earth. All I know is it's going to be gruesome. It's going to be way beyond what we're comprehensive of. And yet it's going to happen. I didn't write the thing. I'm just reading to you what it's from. And we say we believe the Bible, but we've got to learn what it says. And we've got to be prepared. I want to be someone that's prepared, ready to be useful and, and under, under the stresses of what that's going to look like if we're still here. I don't know. Just be careful. It's a challenge to myself. Be careful. Go with what the book says and forget about what people think about what it says. It's always worked for God's people. Let's stand together this morning.
Father, we thank you for your scripture that we just read in Genesis that that far back you said, blessed will those be who bless you. And what you did in Abraham and cursed will those be who dare to curse the offspring of Abraham. Lord, we know it's been confusing. There's been centuries that have gone by where there wasn't even a people called Israel and the nation that you gave them and yet miraculously there they are once again. And so, Father, whatever you're doing, we don't know all the details, but we know that you're doing it. Only you could have brought this to the final pages that you wrote about 2,000 years ago, in some places almost 3,000 years ago, that you already decided how this was going to wrap up and it was going to be with you fulfilling the very promise that you made to Abram. You promised him a set of geography, some coordinates on this planet that you would choose to one day bring Messiah through to your people in that very place that you would be crucified and in that one day you would rise again from that tomb right there in Israel and though that nation was wiped out here they are back again in that place Lord your chosen people and we just pray for them this morning we want to be found as those who bless them who pray for their peace who pray for the peace of all that's in that area Lord for the evil that's been just saturating human hearts to come in and, and commit atrocities that we don't even have mind space to comprehend and yet lord we know that you've promised that you're coming back there too and you're going to rule from a place that you decided thousands of years ago was going to be your piece of earth of all the millions and billions of acres on this planet you chose that one small piece and yet that's the piece the whole world wants to destroy lord we know the enemy has always been after those who love you and those who are called by your name. Lord, we are called by your name. We're born of your spirit. We're made new by your work at that cross. And so, Lord, we know that we also come under the attack of the enemy, Lord. And so, Father, spiritually, we just stand today. We're reminded to put on our armor, but also in the natural, we stand. We stand, Lord, on a word that you gave to us, a promise that you made to us, that where our feet go, that earth belongs to us. In the spirit realm, Lord, especially. Lord, I pray that we would all see this week as an opportunity to take ground. Not just contend for ground that we've already taken, but Lord, to contend for more. To press in deeper. To go into a place of being more aware that you have desired to give us all things that pertain to this life and to godliness through Christ Jesus. So Lord, we thank you for this gift of this day. We thank you for this ability to come together freely. And we thank you, we pray, Lord, even now for the families of those who are actively serving in the military, Lord, that you would protect them, that you would encourage them, that any depressive thoughts, any thoughts of suicide or any of the things we know that they struggle with, Lord, that you would just, just breathe upon them. Holy Spirit, that you would just restore to them whatever's been taken through the atrocities of warfare and the brutality that happens. Lord, we just pray that you would bring deep inner healing to not just the warriors and the veterans, but to their families as well, God, that you administer your grace and your peace to them. Because, Lord, you are faithful, and you are near to those who call upon you. And we thank you for that in your name, Jesus. And God's people said, amen, amen. and amen.